Okay, here to review the Sunday papers is the boss of the communications clinic, Terry Prone, uh, head of Bernardo's uh, Fergus Finlay, and columnist with the Irish Independent, Ian O'Doherty. Uh, let's start with that story, uh, uh, Fergus Finlay, uh, the site serve inquiry running into difficulty. Uh, this would be an awkward one for the government, wouldn't it, if, if this were to come to pass, if it was to collapse? Uh, you know how many ifs you had in your question there, Shane? Um, uh, one, I think. <laughs> this would be an awkward thing if... Um, I mean, like the headline is Judge Slams Powers. I, uh, judges don't slam powers. Judges write polite letters to government saying they don't have adequate powers. And governments always respond by saying, what more powers do you need? Here they are. Mm. And that's what will happen in this case. It's a the nearest thing to an on-story, I think. Um, uh, is it? If the if the inquiry collapses, it's a big story. If the government allows the inquiry to collapse, it will be very stupid on their part. They won't. The, the nub of the issue would uh, seems to be a lack of powers to compel. To compel. To compel. I mean, generally speaking, if you're conducting an inquiry into a matter of public policy, judges find it much easier, or the inquirers find it much easier to get paperwork and process and so on from the public sector than they do from the private sector. Where there's an interaction with uh, between public and private, the private sector fights shy always of telling their side of the story. Mm. Uh, and you need additional powers to compel in that case. doesn't follow, of course, that the paperwork that the public sector produces is always decent and adequate and good. Yeah. Um, but that's what appears to be happening in this case. Yeah, just judge, we, we should we should spell it. Uh, KPM, KPMG, the special liquidator of IBRC, basically cited banking confidentiality and legal privilege when asked by the Commission to disclose confidential documents. The Commission wrote to uh, the special liquidator saying, can you waive this in order for it to produce a report? They responded and said, yeah, we can do that, but it's only for your eyes, uh, which would mean that the documents couldn't be circulated to third parties. And, of course, the Commission rightly said, well, we can't do that. It can't be reported in that case. So so you have to find a way around it. Uh, And they will find a way around it. Because, I mean, it's unthinkable uh, with all the questions that have been raised uh, that the government couldn't uh, give straight answers at the end of the day. And this is the vehicle that has been chosen to do it. Okay, Terry, do you um, share Fergus's lack of enthusiasm for this story? I would go much further. I I thought you might. (laughs) I, I would you never might. fight with your editorial judgment, but um, I cannot see that this is something that the plain people of Ireland are going to get their knickers in a very tight twist. About. No, that doesn't mean it's not important, though, in fairness. Oh, it doesn't. Oh, now we're being a lecturer as well as no, an it editor. it doesn't mean it's not important. That is absolutely true. However, we are trying to get you listeners for your rotten programme chain. <laughs> That's the point. And if we keep warbling we're going to tell them what's important, whether they like it or not. They're going to listen. God and the key question, which you and Fergus have missed, is if this I judge, beg your pardon. Yeah, <laughs> if this judge is so You're smart not and either. was picked by the government to do the, another of these bloody inquiries that cost billions and never achieve anything, I give you the fact that Ray Burke was practically found innocent by a previous inquiry only last week. Well, I agree with you. The unravelling of the planning tribunal has been extraordinary. Disastrous. And we And almost uncommented upon. 
precisely but because to, 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 to like turn you your question on you <laughs> uh, do the public out there care about it oh yes I do think that the public if ah, they, they care we, about that no no what the public care about is being asked to pay money out of their back pockets for nothing. There is no citizen in this country that won't resent that and there is no citizen in this country who has been fully told the the negligence, the pointlessness, the self-righteous nonsense that allows us to keep setting up these things when nobody D- goes to we, jail. We should say people though, I'll bring you in a second, we, we should say this inquiry is very difficult to the kind of public tribunal that was set up that do, that do cost billions. <laughs> this one's, or they did cost Fine, hundreds I, of I, billions. And by the, way, by the way, Terry, Ray Burke, A, did go to jail and B, irrespective of the technicalities, we now know everything we need to know about Ray Burke. This is done toasted over. Let us be clear. There is a major distinction, Fergus, I I, uh, modestly suggest to you between the law. Uh, Who's being a lecturer now? Which has been remarkably effective in dealing with the Ray Burks of this world and inquiries which have, as you point out, simply allowed the public to get a sense of, oh, so that's what he was at, but had no other end result. It is still uh, backstairs gossip. And the other thing, going back to my essential point, Shane, is he he is just muttering in the background. It is not permitted. Um, If this Judge Cregan is as eminent a judge as I have no doubt is there, is. is there any other kind of judge other than an eminent Never judge? Never an em- you, you come with eminent Well, none that we'd be allowed to, to talk you. about on radio <laughs> anyway, that's for Why sure. Why did he not at the beginning go to the... Uh, uh, government and say, look at lads, you've given me this amount of power, I need this amount. Well, maybe How has it taken uh, him so should, long? Well, maybe because the problem only arose in he the last He doesn't have any weeks. imagination or intellectual speculation. No, I don't know. Well, well, we'll well, see. Look, look, Ian you're the only person Terry, in the studio that Terry Prone hasn't had a pop at yet. <laughs> That's so because I haven't got to say to yourself. I'm actually, I'm, I'm holding a mic under the table waiting <laughs> for the barrage. Uh, look, the simple fact of the matter is that when, you, when we talk about the ordinary people or whatever, Talking about inquiries now at this stage is the equivalent of pressing the snooze button on your alarm. Right? People just go, but just and justifiably so. There's a massive amount of fatigue, verging on contempt for all of these things. But and this IBFC story was a was big news, and it, people well, no, did I'm talking, about, I'm talking about just when, the, when sort of once the words inquiries come in, and then now we're just looking at the lines. Officials are believed to be working on emergency powers this weekend because they couldn't foresee any any eventuality for you know for any shortfall in the powers. Yes, obviously it's a very important story. Um, there's no doubt about that. But from from a from a general public point of view, it's like, oh, here we go again. Basically, people will be more interested when people start hanging each other in public, when the rancor comes out and things like. That. But at the moment, all we're seeing is I don't really see what the story is. That a judge wants more power. As Fergus said, he would probably get more power. And then what will he do with the power? It was a case of then if we start seeing people being held accountable, then I think people will genuinely start paying attention. But we live in a country where nobody's ever held accountable properly. Right. No, I wouldn't quite say no, that. I mean, when you compare it to <clears throat> when you compare it to say how people quickly have gone to prison in in recent times, not enough. And then you kind of wonder about the people who did. There's always the look. There's a there's. I would never call myself a cynic, but I would be a skeptic. <laughs> and no, I'm a skeptic rather than you know. Okay, okay. But people are very very cynic. People are very very cynical now, but you know, and and justifiably so about the way the one percenters do business with themselves in the sense that there is this real sense that these are a club that the lawyers all know each other that they've all made millions on previous inquiries before, and that basically it's just a gravy train that sort of works in an, in an infinite loop 
for the benefit of the legal profession and the rest was just it almost seems to be done in deliberately obtuse ways that it's very hard to get to the nub of these issues okay. I, I just be, like on the subject of cynicism Shane I, I really had hoped that we could talk about two financial stories well I was going to come to one because I'm guessing the, the other the, well, there one, are two one connects the other part well, of IVRC they, which they, is they Irish lump, nationwide they brought a lump to my throat this morning mm. and, and in a uh, good you know, way I, or a bad way well I found it hard to kind of speak almost when I read first of all about hundreds of professional footballers um, who are paid millions every year for kicking a football um, and for trying to pass a ball from A to B. That's not what they're paid for. Um, (laughs) I am. Um, And they've lost an awful lot of money apparently in some stupid speculation. Um, and we're supposed to weep and shed bitter tears over it. And the other one, which uh, yeah, did okay. genuinely bring tears to my eyes, was the story that Michael Fingleton apparently is down to his last few bars. Yeah, is it, I'm trying. Is this, this was in the business post? Yes, it's online. Has the story. Three of the business posts. Um, there it is. I hand it to you. Oh, thank you. Um, okay, yeah, Fingleton. Where has where has Fingleton's money gone? Uh, by Tom Lines. I, want us, I, w- I wonder if we. Uh, he claims he's relying on family. Well, I want us to, you know, put out the word that a whip around is needed, a dig out, if you will, is needed, <laughs> uh, and to see whether or not the people of Ireland would would rise to this challenge. Do dig outs actually happen? Well, per- didn't sometimes, he have a twenty nine million euro pension? No. Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah, yeah. And two million a year. Oh, no, sorry, it was only twenty-seven million. I'm so sorry. Yeah, maybe, I do. Maybe we should start one of those social media campaigns. Pray for Michael. You know these sort of support <laughs> things. You know, in in in, 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 in in this is very difficult. Couple of minutes. As he, as he looks for the extra few million that seem to have gone missing. Okay, let's move on to that poll in the uh, the Sunday Independent. Um, Terry, it would seem. Public op- I mean, it's been a rough seven or eight years, I think it's fair to say. Public optimism, according to this poll. Now, I can already anticipate the text coming in saying, well, you know, we haven't felt the benefits of the economic recovery and undoubtedly lots of people haven't. But it does seem as if, based on this, people are more optimistic uh, than at any time in the last seven or eight years. Well, they need to be stupid not to be. I mean, the fact <laughs> is that this government came in, like them, hate them, whatever. They came in and said, we will fix the economy. They pretty much fix the economy. The end result is that nobody, unless they want to do what Michael Noonan once memorably described as a, a lifestyle choice, nobody needs to go to Australia other than on a visit. And wouldn't we all love to be there in a day like today um, for immigration purposes? There are now jobs. There are good jobs. There are careers. There are possibilities. And we're back to talking about Terry, why are we totally not true. building enough? No, no, that is factually true. It's now, not. I can tell you for a fact. It's not. Well, it's like if you look at my brother, for example, in Carlo. He's the only one who's left. Right. All of his mates and the people he used to work with before the. the well, I'm not that that they they're, been they're, they're, no, but they're either in Australia or they're in Canada, and they ain't coming back. Well, could we just start with the fact that the people who are here can now get jobs and then perhaps you'll get it into some uh, party manifesto, uh, the urgency to get people to come back. The priority I would have thought was the people who stayed here. Do you know, the young people at the moment can get jobs, they can hope to live here. There is the. I was uh, talking the other night at the. I was very impressed that there is such an organisation, the Master Builders, and the Master Builders were talking, making a point that I hadn't heard before. That an awful lot of their cohort went under during the recession, mm. but some of them who were there hadn't gone under. They had been forced to cut 
by half, by two thirds, all of that. They were taking the thing of all builders are evil, which is one of these generalised abusive comments that we make at the moment. But they were saying one of the things that we now have in almost every area of the economy is companies that have come through the recession and therefore have a much greater strength, resilience, sense of how to do things than if there hadn't been a recession. Mm. Okay. Um, is there enough, Fergus, in this poll? I mean, you're a, a, I think you're still a card-carrying member of the Labour Party. Um, is there enough in there for the, the coalition to sort of cling to in terms of getting re-elected, do you think? I, I never understand why I cannot appear on a programme without being described as a card-carrying member of the Labour Party. Um, you know, every citizen has a right to be a member yeah, of every I, political I, party. I, don't, I didn't mean it as a... Uh, I didn't mean it in, in a pejorative sense. Um, <laughs> I think it's I'm important. Shirty, shirty, yeah, just, shirty, just that's me. laying your credentials um, out on the I, table. Um, no, there isn't quite enough. Uh, I mean, I, I want to say two things about the poll. Uh, uh, first of all, I work in communities day in and day out that were completely bypassed by the Celtic Tiger and that suffered disproportionately when the Celtic Tiger collapsed. And it is not true to say that for many of those communities there is, as the Indo headline has it, a new dawn. Um, there is a long way to go before hope is restored in some of the places that I work in where intergenerational unemployment and intergenerational poverty has been a feature of life. Mm. There's an awful long way to go. I'm curious you say there that those those uh, sectors were totally untouched by the Celtic Tiger. Now, the Celtic Tiger had, had many flaws, not least of which the fact that it was it, it turned into a bubble. But I would have thought everybody benefited from the Celtic Tiger, even if it was just in the form of increased social welfare payments. If you... Think of any community, any community um, that you would associate with embedded poverty. And we know the names of the housing estates in Dublin, in Cork, in Limerick. Think of any community. What we did in the Celtic Tiger was we built a ring road around them or we built a motorway through them. You can drive from Dublin to Blessington, for example, on a dual carriageway at 50 miles an hour and you can bypass some of the most deeply embedded poverty in Ireland. Without you still have to left go through Jobstown, right. you still have to go through Kilmarden, you still have to, you know... I mean, That's my point. My point is they were bypassed. We, What we did in the Celtic Tiger is we invented what I call drive-by poverty. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, we gave people at the bottom extra so, some extra social welfare payments. And unemployment almost what was, disappeared. What was the... F- it didn't, uh, it, it no, was it did temporary. Not, it did not, Shane. It did not disappear. Not in those communities. Not among people with disabilities. Not in not among people who have always suffered at mm. the bottom. It did not disappear. Um, and what was the first thing that happened in the first austerity budget and in every subsequent austerity budget? We took the social welfare back. We took the loan parent payment back. We took the child benefit back. We took back as much as we could get away with taking back. So what I'm saying is there's a long way to go before they can claim there's a new dawn for everybody. Having said all that, having said all that, I do detect a much better spirit in the country. I do feel, uh, you know, as I go around, as we all go around, I suppose, a much stronger sense of optimism, a much stronger sense that maybe, maybe we're beginning to get our act together. And I think that's great. I think that's okay. fabulous. All right. I think, no, we, I think we could make some different choices. Briefly, just briefly. You know. No, I, th- I think this has as much to do with the fact that basically we've almost got to a stage of sort of depression fatigue or that basically suppressed pe- sense of panic that the nation has felt for the last seven years. People are looking for something, looking for anything to give them the sense that 
okay, there's a way out. We might, you know, that maybe we're over the worst, that we're over the hump. And but um, that's all it is. It's okay. an indication. All right. Okay. Much better spirit in the country. Fergus Finley says decidedly cranky one in here this morning, but that's no bad thing. Yeah, that is uh, Elgar's uh, Enigma, which I, I suppose is probably the music most closely identified with uh, Remembrance Sunday. Uh, Eno Darty, this has got. I mean, a huge amount of uh, coverage in in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the Irish international, not for the first year, James McLean, who plays for West Brom, getting a chorus of boos yesterday in Old Trafford because he was one. I think probably the only player in the Premier League who refused to wear uh, a poppy on his jersey. You were writing about this during the week. Um, there is undoubtedly, I think it was John Snow described it as, as uh, poppy fascism. Poppy fascism, yeah, which would be really a tautology. Um, no, it's. This is one of the things. It's one of these stories that's presented in a really binary kind of manner. You're either mm. you're either for it. Or I should say, it. you came in here today wearing a poppy. Yes, and then Fergus lunged across the table and <laughs> snatched it off my lapel, stood on it repeatedly, and said, "I spit on everything it represents." Uh, no, it actually, you fell off because I'm just really bad at. I've always been really bad at attaching them. Now, one of the things I've noticed is that there's a similarity between the Little Englanders, the poppy fascists and the old sort of rump of Republicans in Ireland, that neither side would ever want to admit that they have far more in common than they do with actually normal, rational people. Um, I, I, wear one as, I wear one for my own private reasons. Like an awful lot of people, like an awful lot of the working class in Dublin actually do, you know. Um, it was something that was never really recognised until the last few years. And I really loved living in a society where you get to choose whether you want to wear it or whether you don't want to wear it without sort of aegis from the, you know, the is kind of having a go at anybody having but a go with clean it's or a with relatively the recent phenomenon not obviously the wearing of the poppy but this thing where pretty much it seems like the whole of the end of October and the beginning of November well th- th- this is what I'm saying is, 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 I mean you know Remembrance Sundays it's a bit like Christmas it seems to start earlier every year <laughs> you know and it's uh, now even almost before Halloween nearly, you'd nearly see people wearing them and it just looks ridiculous and it looks as if basically at this stage now when you look at TV any TV coming out of Britain you might as well assume that the poppy is like a lapel mic yeah because it's as ubiquitous as that. But then people like, like Sienna Miller, for example, who appeared on the Graham Norton show and took it off, took it off her dress because apparently it was ripping her dress. She would have had a wardrobe malfunction, and yeah. people went absolutely bonkers over it. And but again, you see, look, the thing is, when but we, I do. I, I mean, I I think we all fall into the trap because my, uh, Michael Fassbender was on Graham Norton, and I have to admit, I I was looking to see if he was wearing a poppy or not, and. You know, I'm not really I think he was wearing a very no, because, a because our brains one. are designed to detect patterns, and if we see anybody who breaks a pattern, it actually stands out more than yeah. if, if if they weren't. But like, the, the, you see, the problem with McLean is that I, I completely understand where McLean is coming from. Is well, I don't necessarily agree with it. I mean, certainly what he said about what the British Army did in the north. I mean, I think you know the fact that Jurgen Klopp was wearing a poppy yesterday. I think he might have more of an objection about sort of lives lost at the hands of the British Army. Yeah, but Army. I suppose you but could you could argue a lot longer uh, time has elapsed since no, the Second absolutely, World War. You know, but I mean, bloody look, Sunday. It's, Really, this is a this is a classic example of an issue that's been hijacked by the nutters on both sides, right? Whether it's the Republicans over here, I mean, and the, the, one, I facetiously refer to the fact that with Conor McGregor, when he uh, a two year old picture of McGregor wearing a poppy at an event in England, was unearthed, and this group called calling themselves the Sean Houston Society decided to have a go at him. And I mean, I just had a pop of them. Said, I mean, why anybody should listen to an organisation named after a train station anyway I mean well, I don't understand what they're and they went completely <laughs> that went down well, oh, it, you know, it went down like a bomb shall we say you know um, but look it's a lot, an awful lot of people now at this stage and it's the reason why it's a particularly apt story this year as opposed to last year you know even say using James McLean as a hook James McLean's been doing this for the last three years so why is it such a big deal over here this year it's because next year is the centenary of 
and that's when actually wearing the poppy is going to become a very fraught uh, demonstration, okay. much more so than it is. And I actually do think this time, twelve months, um, we're going. You already have the usual keyboard commando stuff, but they want to get back into the sort of the poppy snatching thing, which is basically take a poppy off, taking a poppy off somebody's lapel and stuff like that. Okay, and um, it's something that represents neither oppression nor liberty it just it represents what you choose to represent it as in the context of the first world war and the idea of compelling somebody to wear one or forbidding somebody to wear one both notions are equally fascist uh, Terry Prone I, I notice you're wearing uh, green today I'm not sure if that's uh, by accident or, or design uh, there is this growing militarization of uh, you see it, it was always a feature of American society you do see it much more in British society you know uh, particularly in relation to football games and stuff I mean why why should there be? I mean, why should footballers wear a pop? I don't really understand. You're the logic asking of that. me a question about footballers. I know from nothing in relation to football. It I have difficulty distinguishing between soccer and rugby. <laughs> okay. I think one of them is played with an egg-shaped ball. But, but the idea of sport and politics are are uh, war being being mixed it together. Is all the us and them, the belonging thing. One of the things that we often get asked in my company is. Um, in advance of something like Remembrance Sunday, some client will ring up and say, I'm on such and such a programme, should I wear a poppy? And the answer is, first of all, what is your genuine need? What do you want to do? Would you wear a poppy? And then secondly, to warn them about the fact that the viewing audience will do a Shane Coleman on them. Uh, some of them will immediately say, oh, look, he's wearing a poppy. He's one of us. And the other lot will look and say he's not wearing a poppy, the absolute bastard. But, but the point is that people, individuals, have to have the courage to withstand the electronic and other mob and to say, first of all, Remembrance Sunday is exactly what it says and it's a lovely phrase, remembrance. It is about people from working class Dublin. My own family had, I have a granduncle, had a granduncle who went out at 18 and came home minus a leg and silenced for life. He would talk about everything except what had happened to him. So none of us have any idea the suffering that he experienced out there. But I want to remember him. Yes, I do. And yes, I will. But I, sorry, Fergus, just very quickly. I don't think actually the poppy necessarily represents an increased sort of militarisation of British society. I think what it represents is actually the increased mawkishness of British society. Mm-hmm. And particularly in the context of football, it seems you cannot go to a match in England now without there being a minute silence for the grandson of the tea lady who used to work in the stadium and now, and now, you know, and now she's feeling a bit poorly. And I mean, it's, it's the joke is about Liverpool because they seem to go through so many commemorations of disasters and deaths that they should have just had a black armband just as part of their regulation kit that you didn't have to buy. Well, I mean, but, I no, mean, but, uh, but the thing is, no, but you see it now. I mean, the Liverpool football club went through a, 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 I know. a horrendous event. Yeah, but I'm a United fan, so I'm not going to pass up the opportunity to have a go with them. Yeah. Um, but no, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a reflection of a wider mawkishness, and I was only saying to, ter- to Terry earlier, it's, like, it's the soft tyranny of the group hug. Everybody now is encouraged to, whether it's, you know, whether it's watching The X Factor or Strictly, you're meant to cry along with these stories. <laughs> and you know, and that's the thing that I find really irksome about the poppy thing now. It's, 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 it's that soft tyranny, um, that mawkishness. Like, that and we saw it, for example, with the death of um, Di- uh, Princess Diana, didn't well, that, we? Well, that really oh, started please. it. Yeah, that really started it. And the since then... The outbreak of garage flowers. And since then, society has become increasingly more stupid basically <laughs> and increasingly <laughs> more emotional and it's, it's, we're going through what it, since Diana we've gone through what I refer to as the great dummering um, where it's basically people's feelings and this thing of you're not grieving 
why aren't you grieving? And, and it's this, everybody's now meant to be so in touch with their feelings that they're slaves to them. And the broadcaster's you know? question, which Shane, you will never ask, please. How did you feel when whatever happened? Because how did how you, you feel? feel means please cry for me right now on camera. Fergus Finley, how did you feel yesterday when you... No, what do you, um, <laughs> what do you think of this whole issue? Would you, I, I mean, sorry, this is a, maybe, would you wear a poppy, for example? If, if I thought the poppy was a symbol of remembrance, I might. Um, my mother's middle name was Ypres because her father died after the Battle of Ypres. He, well. served, he served in the British Army. Uh, he didn't die at the battle. He died in a train on the way back from the battle. Um, of what? Uh, I, well, I th- I always thought it was the Spanish flu, but actually the Spanish flu was later. He he p- he picked up a disease um, and and died after the battle. And she was she was named Ypres after him and after the Battle of Ypres. My father fought in the British, served in the British Army during the Second World War. My great grandmother suffered at the hands of the Black and Tans, so she had a different uh, story to tell. If 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 these if the Easter Lily, the poppy were symbols of remembrance of those kind of things, I might well. But they're not. They're symbols of jingoism, of chauvinism, um, of, a, as Ian says, a certain kind of fascism. I was fascinated by the fact that your point of reference for this is uh, the Graham Norton show. You were sneering at me before the programme because my point of reference for this <laughs> is Strictly Come Dancing, to which yeah. I'm addicted. And to watch... Mine's may, a bit more street cred than yours, I think. Yeah, I, I'd whatever, put it to you. Whatever. Um, Go on. Tiny margins, Jen. Yeah, yeah, tiny yeah, margins. Small margins. Tiny I margins. accept yeah, small we're margins. Both, we're both a bit, <laughs> yeah. a bit on the sad both, side. We were both it. in on, on nights we, we, we should but have been watch, out on. To yeah. watch Strictly Come Dancing, male dancers virtually stripped to the waist and doing brilliant stuff on the dance floor, but somehow or other managing to have a poppy on them somewhere because it's compulsory. You can't appear on British television over this period without poppies. And uh, there are wardrobe people uh, on British shows fixing poppies to people who don't even know in some cases what is being fixed to them. Yeah. There are Irish dancers on that show. There are Czech dancers on that show. There are, uh, you know, there are people from a half a dozen nationalities and there they are parading around in poppies that they don't even know what it's about. They have the faintest idea. They do wear them like a gaudy lapel, Mike. It just looks like a very obvious Mike the mm. way half of them seem to wear. Or for all the understanding that they yeah, seem to Yeah, when you arrived in this morning, I thought you were mic'd up ready to go. I, I <laughs> didn't realise. <laughs> Always, baby. Always. Uh, listen, we need to take a break just before we, we go to that break. Um, not not that much coverage on uh, uh, ISIS and the the downing of that jet uh, in, in Egypt. Um, well, I actually, the standout image from ever since the, the Russian jet went down <laughs> was the woman in the airport in Sharm el-Sheikh absolutely destroying the British ambassador who turned up to basically say, you know, a plane has just been taken out of the sky and she was going, that's not good enough. And then she started insulting saying, why are you stuttering and stuff? And it was just, it was a classic example of that real stupid belligerence of rather than going, do you want to fly? Well, we don't know if the if the cabin crew or the baggage staff are putting bombs on planes. You're going to have to wait for a couple of days. And she really represented, and her whole family and her husband represented, that culture of people who cannot handle any inconvenience whatsoever. Okay. A bomb has just been blown up. You think you might want to give it a couple of yeah. days. Terry, we were talking about Little Englanders there a moment ago, but this story, that story is leading the pretty much every British newspaper. It's hardly mentioned here at all. Have we become much more... In, I, I was in a bar in Cross McGlen uh, during the summer and they uh, short bar and cross McGlen and they had newspaper front pages of newspapers from the 30s the 40s the 50s the 60s and one thing that struck me 
each of them, I'd say half the coverage on the front pages was international news stories. Yes. Things were happening in America, something President Kennedy was doing, some kind of legislation. You look at an Irish newspaper now, it, it has to be a massive story for it or to be on the front pages. Or involving some uh, celeb, as in a showbiz celeb, mm. to get on the front pages. It's an interesting change because... If you look, for example, at the past two weeks, there has been the most amazing scandal story in the NHS in Britain where trusts actually decided to delay the time that they would send out ambulances on the basis that I presume the need would go away. 25 people at least died. The cruelty visited on people who were very sick or injured and who had to wait 10 or 20 minutes more because of a deliberate decision that didn't appear at all in any prominent way in the Irish newspapers. But going back to the ISIS thing, I do think I was yesterday, I can't remember whether it was in an Irish paper or not, there was an interesting story which shows the power of CCTV because it showed the (coughs) reason why Putin, Cameron and all the others are saying we're not flying into that airport because it showed workers coming in and out without proffering identification of any kind. There simply was no security at all. And if, as the black box recording seems to show, there was an explosion Mm. a second before the black box went dead, then it would seem that not only was a bomb deployed, but a a bomb was deployed with a fair amount of ease because of the lack of security at that airport. But also as well, for an awful lot of people, if you're going to effectively take a cheap holiday in other people's misery, which is what anybody who goes to Sharm el-Sheikh at the moment is doing, right? it's the reason why there's cheap deals going. It's the same thing in Tunisia, and it's been like this when... You're going to have to expect, you're going into an area where like 100 miles away people are being killed and people are being slaughtered and you're, you're going into the middle of the web. What do you expect? There's a reason why these deals are so cheap at the moment. It's because it's a more dangerous place to go than it ever has been before and this is a risk that people good, have to face. Good coverage of this, I should say, in the, the Sunday uh, Times today and they also have a piece by James Rubin, the former Assistant Secretary of State under Bill Clinton. Uh, Fergus, just, just lastly on this before we go to uh, a break. Well, I think the point you were making was... Um, that we seem to have lost interest in it. Um, in, in, you know, insofar yeah. as our media is a reflection of our interest, and I presume it is, um, and that getting enormous coverage everywhere else and barely mentioned uh, here at all. We're much more concerned with things like, for example, and th- this is me now about to get bitter and twisted, uh, the fact that um, there are a 100 powerful people in Ireland that are really <coughs> well worth listening. Mm. Two of us, three of us, I beg your pardon, three of us in this studio are not on that list. You're listening to The Sunday Show with Shane Coleman. Uh, My panel today is uh, Terry Prone, Fergus Finlay and Ian O'Doherty. One member of, uh, one person in this studio rather, is listed today in The Sunday Independent as one of the most powerful, influential people in uh, Ireland. It's not Fergus Finlay, it's not Ian O'Doherty, it's not Shane Coleman, Terry Prone. Congratulations. Uh, We're all standing now. Can we all stand? stand? I'm going to send over brand paper bags to the editor of the Sunday Indo and everybody else involved very shortly. It's such a kicker. It really is such a kicker. It doesn't matter. But you're on the same list, Terry, as Louis Walsh and Niall Horan. Yes. And I have to read out what they say about you. I'm rubbing shoulders. I just want to know how many of them are your clients. How many of the 100 are actually your clients? The other 99. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The most powerful among us are the ones you never hear about. Working behind the scenes, advising CEOs and cabinet ministers, Terry Prone is the woman Ireland's elite hire when their reputation is on the line. She has saved 
many a powerful figure. I am the médecin sans frontier of P.O. <laughs> the red But did they just say that nobody ever hears about Terry? Yeah, that was a If they don't have I a radio, a TV <laughs> or buy an Irish newspaper, they never hear about Terry May. Very true. OK. Uh, listen, finally for our panel, it's 25 years ago this weekend since this happened. I was elected by men and women of all parties and none. By many with great moral courage who stepped out from the faded flags of the Civil War and voted for a new Ireland and above all by the women of Ireland. Uh, Fergus Finley, um, you were incredibly close uh, to the action in terms of this election. It, It was... It was an extraordinary election, wasn't it? In terms so, of shaping so, Ireland, so, in terms so of close that it is deeply depressing to realise that it was a quarter of a century yeah, ago. Uh, I, yeah. I, uh, I think that we'll fight over the actual day. The, the election took place on the seventh. Election day was yesterday. The election took place on the seventh. We counted the effectively the first preference votes on the eighth. We went to bed on the night of the eighth, still waiting for. Uh, the elimination of Austin Curry, uh, Austin Curry, and uh, the distribution of his transfers, but knowing that, that she was it was win. in the bag, uh, but it still wasn't quite in the bag. Um, uh, and you went to bed that night thinking it'll be unbelievable if it happens, um, but it's going to happen. And how are you going to cope with the emotion of it and so on? I mean, we talk about emotion. Um, I, twice in my life, I have cried at a political event. Um, uh, and that was one of them. I, I was supposed to be on the stage and I couldn't be on the stage because I knew I couldn't control my emotions. What was the I, other time, just out of interest? Uh, we go into it another time. Okay. Um, it's in my book, my, my best-selling book on the subject. <laughs> I've read it. Um, I've read it. I suspect it. it's A.D. Roach's it, campaign. No, it had to do with Harry Whelan, but anyway. Um, oh, yeah, I do remember. Uh, yeah. It was more, frust- I, more frustration than anything else that day. But, I, I mean, I can still remember, I can still remember uh, Charles Hawhey manifesting the sound of one hand clapping. I, I, <laughs> if you ever see the footage of it, he's on the stage, Brian Lenehan's on the stage. Brian Lenehan was being a gentleman, a complete uh-huh. gentleman in defeat, incredibly gracious and so on. Um, uh, Charles Hawhey stood there, the famous basilisk stare, gazing into the middle distance, and he had a rolled up thing. I think it was an order paper from Doyle Aaron in one hand. And every time there was thunderous applause in the auditorium, as there was throughout her speech and throughout the preceding speech, he tapped the uh, rolled up thing into the other hand, making absolutely no sound. And you couldn't say he wasn't clapping. Yeah. At the same time, he wasn't it was less clapping. enthusiastic. It was the sound of one hand clapping. And the, the overwhelming feeling on the day for for many of us, perhaps not for Mary Robinson, uh, who ha- would have had different feelings, I think. Um, I think she was quite overwhelmed by what had happened, by, by the responsibility she felt she was taking on. The overwhelming feeling I had certainly was we beat them, we won, we beat them. We did the unthinkable. Um, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, I can still remember very, very respected people I respect, political commentators, saying at the start of that campaign, Mary Robinson will put up a credible performance and will come a respectable mm. third. Um, uh, and uh, so on. Certainly later that day, that. Um, I got a check from Paddy Power. Um, I, 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 was, I think I was the first person in Ireland to put a bet down. How much did you put um, on? I put 100 euro. And that, whew, um, that's a lot of money back then. a lot of money for me, I can tell you that. Um, and I got a check for 1100 euro from Paddy Power wow. and a bottle of pink champagne and a note saying, uh, and actually I have the note somewhere, uh, it said, we opened the book because of your suggestion. 
we lost 32,000 on Mary Robinson but we won 85,000 on Brian Lennon. Mary Robinson <laughs> won, but of course, as usual, so did the bookies. Um, Terry Prone, I suppose that was the election, you know, Manon Heron, that phrase kind of became part of the political lexicon. It, it was one of those breakthrough things like we saw this summer, um, where the event itself was emotionally significant, far beyond anything that you might subsequently do. There was a sense that there were new possibilities just because of her election. Mm. Okay, Uh, And it it is worth saying, just as a matter of, because, you know, people talk about the office of the presidency and its symbolic nature and so on. That election happened between two divorce referendums. Yeah. You know, almost equidistant between two divorce referendums, yeah. and I believe that that election. Well, interesting. I, I was, I was just, result. just, just to close. I was going to ask you, Nadal. You're, you're the, the youngest here. I think it was your well, the, the first, first election you voted. Was ever to vote. uh, the change in Ireland, the, the Ireland then compared to now. I mean, it's, it's chalk and cheese, really, isn't it? I'm not so sure. The the technological landscape has changed. The economic landscape has changed. But I mean, we still the social the same landscape. Well, has I mean, it's, I suppose to a degree. But I don't. <clears throat> I think we're, we're far too quick to give ourselves a pat on the back and look back and sneer. No, at I, I, I was saying. No, no, hang on. I was saying it had changed. Um, I don't necessarily think all of it's for the no, better. Uh, certainly, <clears throat> it has changed. And some of the things that were written about Mary Robinson back in the day certainly wouldn't ever be considered or considered conscionable now but I mean about I suppose Mary Robinson as much some of the things said on, on radio shows about her newfound interest in family and so on as, uh, yeah, I mean, as it was just, just Pete Flynn sure famously said stupid you know what I mean and that, I mean, that, that was the thing there was never any real sort of legitimate coherent argument that was put up against her that was politically acceptable the rest was just oh she's a chick effectively mm-hmm. but no I mean, the thing is it was I will always remember that time very fondly because I love voting and that's the first time I was able to vote but I mean Mary Robinson 25 years of spouting guff that's all she has. A quarter of a century of platitudes and rubbish. And anybody who gets involved with something like, you know, this, this thing, the Council of Elders and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, she's just a figure, ridiculous figure. But she represented something really important. And I will always remember that. I'll give you the last word. Well, I don't buy any of that. I mean, like Ian is far too young to remember an Ireland where you couldn't buy a condom. It was illegal. Um, where uh, I remember we passed a piece of legislation the famous Irish solution to the Irish problem. Um, uh, just before Robinson was elected, we passed a piece of legislation which enabled you to buy a condom, provided you w- were buying it in a chemist shop, provided the chemist wasn't a conscientious objector, and provided <laughs> if asked... And, and who was the man asked, who passed that legislation? If asked, you could produce your marriage no, no, certificate. No, I was talking about and, and the, the man who passed that legislation was the man who was clapping but, uh, very unenthusiastically. Un- 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 the, the symbolic change led to a profound change in a whole variety of attitudes. Yeah, okay. All right. Listen, uh, thanks for your company uh, this morning. Terry Prone, Fergus Finley and Ian O'Dardy.